Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Well, good morning. Listen, if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 36? Isaiah, chapter 36. As Eric said, we're continuing our preaching series through the Old Testament, and we're preaching, as he said, through a series called the Old Testament Family Reunion. And uh, I I pray that you've been enjoying this series, but more importantly, I pray that you've you've been growing as you've been learning some of the lessons that we've been teaching uh, in the lives of these Old Testament saints. So this morning, as Eric said, I plan to preach from the life of Hezekiah. And so with your Bibles in your hands, I first want you, if you are able, to please stand with me and repeat after me. This is the inspired Word of God, and it teaches me all that I need to know about God. And all that God requires of me. It is profitable to teach me, to reprove me, to correct me, to train me in righteousness, and equip me for every good work. And by the grace of God, I will obey it and be transformed by it. Please remain standing as I read Isaiah 36, 4 and 5, and you can follow along. Isaiah 36, verses 4 and 5. And the Rabshake said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Father, draw us closer to yourself. Lord, we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, apply your words to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take your seats. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this word right, but the rabshake, and some of you Greek scholars could probably correct me later on, which is an Assyrian title for the king's trusted advisor. It used to be the cupbearer, but he's a trusted advisor for the Assyrian king. He asked this question On what do you rest your trust? I want to preach from that title. On what do you rest your trust? And it's my objective today to look at the life of King Hezekiah and give three answers to this question. When we experience public attacks, we can rest our trust In the Word of God. When we experience personal challenges, we can rest our trust in God who answers prayer. And thirdly, when we experience prideful failures, none of y'all had those, right? When we experience prideful failures, we can rest our trust in the name of the Lord. On what do you rest your trust? In other words, in whom do you trust? 
See, it's easy to say, as it's printed on our currency, in God we trust. But this morning, I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you to really think about in whom or in what do you trust? Let me sketch the historical setting for you. The nation of God's people were comprised of the 12 sons of Jacob, who God had named or renamed him or changed his name to Israel. Amen? I'm not begging, just amen. <laughs> Told my wife I won't beg this morning. I'm not begging. I just want to make sure you're following me and you're getting it. Amen? amen? All right. And these 12 tribes had split into two groups. Ten tribes in the north referred to as Israel, and the two tribes in the south were Judah. And during the time of our text, the Assyrians seemed to be on a quest to conquer the entire world. They had already conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, and now they had set their sights on defeating the southern kingdom of Judah. This is the historical context where this tiny tribe of Judah is facing an invasion by a world superpower, the nation of Assyria. If they are to survive, they must answer the question, on what do you rest your trust? Here's the first point. When we experience public attacks, we can rest our trust in the word of God. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. He had taken the throne as a co-regent or a co-ruler along with his father for a short period when he was 25 years old. And except for King David and Solomon, no other king in Judah is given such high praise as King Hezekiah. I would submit to you, that the reason he is given such high praise is because he trusted God. So let me give you a quick character sketch of King Hezekiah. You don't have to turn to these verses, but you may want to write them down for further study. But 2 Chronicles 32.5 says this, He, speaking of Hezekiah, set to work resolutely and built up all of the walls that were broken down and raised up towers upon it, and outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the Milo, which is a, an earthen uh, fortification, in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. So listen, follow me. He rebuilt the walls around the city. He fortified its barriers and he equipped an army to protect the city and the people. You with me? Second Chronicles 29, 3 and 5 says this. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear, my, hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. He repaired the house of the Lord, consecrated the priesthood, and reestablished worship of the one true God in the holy temple. Listen to 2 Kings 18, 1 through 8. 
In the third year of Hosea, the son of Eli, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, and the, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. According to all that David, his father, had done, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He, he, uh, he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehustin. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all of the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Listen to this. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and, and its territories from Watchtower to fortified cities. Wow. No wonder he received such praise. In his first few years as king, he rebuilt the holy city, he reinforced the walls of protection, he destroyed the idols in the land, he destroyed all of their high places of worship, he repaired the house of God, he reestablished the Levitical priesthood and the worship of God in the temple, he, re he rebelled against the king of Assyria and struck down the Philistines. And here's what's important to note, that even though he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, even though he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, even though he held fast to the Lord, even though he did not depart from following him, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 32.1 that it was after this, after all of this, in his 14th year, it says, after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. Hezekiah, as king, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and yet it did not prevent him from being attacked. After these faithful acts. It seems to me that the enemy reserves his most strategic, his most sustained, and often his most vicious attacks after we've been faithful in some area of life or ministry. Am I the only one that feel that way? Hezekiah had just repaired, rebuilt, and restored Israel. And now, after all of these acts of faithfulness, the enemy knows when to attack. As Hezekiah takes a stand against uh, uh, the public attack from Assyria, he must answer this question, on whom do you rest your trust? Listen, we too, we face an enemy. Like Hezekiah, we must be prepared to answer the same question. Ephesians 6, 12 through 13 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand firm. I may have said this before, but it deserves repeating. Behind every earthly and a physical attack, there's a spiritual source. And if you don't know this, then when you are being attacked, you will fight against the wrong enemy. If you don't know this, then when your husband says something wrong, you will fight him. When you should be fighting against rulers, authority, and cosmic powers over darkness. If you don't know this, then when your wife says something wrong, then you will fight her when you should be fighting against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When someone in church hurts your feelings, because that never happens here at, Grace, uh, at Covenant Grace, I know. But if it did, if you don't recognize that we ultimately don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but that our attacks have a spiritual source, then you will fight with your brother and sister in Christ instead of putting on the full armor of God and firmly standing against the enemy. This was a spiritual fight. Hezekiah had faithfully done all that was right in the eyes of the Lord, and now he and all of Judah were facing a public attack. That brings us to our text. That was just the intro. Uh-oh. Isaiah 36, verses 1 and 2. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all of the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. King Sennacherib and his official, sent his official to Judah where he publicly attacked King Hezekiah, the people, and ultimately his attack was against God. We're about to witness psychological warfare at its best. Actually, this is a war of words, a war between the word of Sennacherib and the word of God. Sennacherib's words were strategically designed to attack Judah's trust in the word of God that was spoken by the king Hezekiah. All of the people were sitting against all on the walls, watching what was playing out. May I speak for a moment to uh, leaders? We often preach to the congregation, but sometimes we've got to preach to our leaders, amen? Pastors. Elders, leaders, Hezekiah was a leader. We can learn something from him. Listen to me. Our ability to lead God's people is directly related to our ability to maintain our trust in the word of God in the midst of any spiritual attack. And let me add this for free. Most of us here, if not all of us, are leaders in some capacity. 
whether in your home as a parent or among your peers in school or on your job here at church, in your ministry, we're all leaders and leadership is built on trust. So our responsibility as leaders is to lead God's people, to have them follow us as we push forward through the attacks of the enemy. Are you with me? And the ability for the people to trust us enough to follow us requires absolute truth from us. Huh? The Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary defines trust as, listen to this, assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. The foundation of trust is truth. You with me? Anyone in a relationship can tell you how hard it is to regain trust once the truth of a person's character or their ability to be faithful has been violated. That's why the enemy is constantly attacking the trust of the leader. Because by teaching and living out the word of God, the leader, in a very real sense, is working to build our trust in God himself. You with me? So if the enemy can cause us to lose our trust in God, if he can cause us instead to put our trust in what we see and what we hear or what we touch, if, if he can cause us to put our trust in people, or in other nations, or God forbid, in our own wisdom and power, then his attacks can easily take us out one by one. It's clear that Sennacherib, through his trusted official, had focused his attack against the trust that King Hezekiah and the people had in the word of the Lord. Let me show you this. In verses 1 through 15, the word trust is used seven times. But again, let me focus on verses four and five. And the rapture said to them, I probably pronounce that different every time, <laughs> said to, <laughs> say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are a strategy and power for war? In whom do you trust that you have rebelled against me? Now that we have taken Jerusalem, now that our armies are poised to march against you, in whom now do you trust? Are you really going to risk your lives on mere words, he said, spoken by Hezekiah? Do you think mere words are strategy and power for war? What mere words did Hezekiah say to the people when he rebelled against Assyria in his first few years as king? Listen to these mere words of strategy and power that Hezekiah spoke to the people in 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8. He says, be strong and courageous. 
Don't be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all of the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. I love this. With him is an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. (laughs) King Hezekiah spoke the truth of who God is and what God would do. And I love this. In the NASB, it says the people rallied or relied on his words. And in the King James Version, it says they rested on his words. And in the ESV, it it says that they took confidence in his word. And in the New King James, it says the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. In other words, the people were able to stand against the enemy's attack by trusting in the words of King Hezekiah. And the words he spoke was the word of God. Oh, I hope I'm helping somebody today. Listen, are you facing some kind of attack this morning? Maybe in your marriage, maybe on your job, maybe it's an attack against your physical health, maybe it's a mental attack. I would offer that the key to withstanding any attack is our ability to trust that the Holy Spirit will graciously apply the word of God in our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Hezekiah told the people that God was with them and that he would fight their battles and their unity was in the shared knowledge of the words of King Hezekiah. They trusted his words, his word that God was with them and would fight for them. And to protect this unity, to preserve it, the king ordered them not to speak to the enemy. Look at verse 21. Don't believe me. Look at verse 21. But they were silent and answered him not a word. Why? For the king's command was, do not answer him. Sometimes I think we talk too much. Okay, maybe it's just me. (laughs) Listen, when we put our trust in the Lord, we don't need to negotiate with the enemy. When you are being attacked by the enemy, you can depend on God. You can rely on him. You can put your trust in his word, and he will, I'm a testimony, he will fight your battles. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. (laughs) And look at what happened. When Hezekiah and the people kept their trust in the word of the Lord, Isaiah 37, 36 says this, and the angel of the Lord went out, and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. (laughs) I don't know. I get excited by the word. I I don't know. I just can't sit there and be like, oh, yeah, okay, wow, 185,000 just got struck down by an angel. I mean, that's like, are you kidding me? 
All right, all right, let me get back over here. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all, de these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, I always have to pronounce it in my head first, Adramelech, Adramelech, and Shahazar, Zer, his son, <laughs> struck him. You, you wouldn't believe I was practicing this all night long. Couldn't sleep because of these names. His son struck him down with a sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esau had done. His son reigned in his place. Isn't that amazing? God kept his promise to protect them. So on what do you rest your trust? When facing the enemy's attack, Hezekiah trusted in the word of God. Here's the second point. When we experience personal challenges, we can rest our trust in God who answers prayer. The scripture says, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Oof. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord. Remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with the whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Actually, Isaiah gave him that word and left. And it was almost when you read the scripture, it was almost as if he was walking and Hezekiah was praying. And then God said, Isaiah, I hear the man of God praying. Turn around and go back. He says, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I like what Charles Spurgeon says about prayer. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Some of y'all got it. It is through prayer that we actively demonstrate our trust in the Lord. God answers prayer. But more than that, God prompts us to pray. It's important to note this, that these events are not recorded in chronological order. Hezekiah's illness occurred before the death of Sennacherib. It says in those days or during the same time period that these events were taking place, God sent Isaiah to King Hezekiah with the words, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Can you imagine that? God doesn't often tell us when we're going to die. But I believe that he did so with King Hezekiah because God desired to continue working through this man to rescue his people and repair and rebuild and restore the house of the Lord and true worship to God. 
And so God warned him that he was going to die. And I would suggest God did it in order to prompt Hezekiah to pray. This personal challenge was not just about Hezekiah, but what God would do in the life of the leader had ramification for all of the people. When God healed the king, it bolstered trust in God throughout all Judah. In fact, as we may see in chapter 39, what God did in the life of Hezekiah became known throughout much of the known world. That's amazing. Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. When Hezekiah heard those words, he turned his face to the wall and he prayed. This was a personal challenge and it required private prayer. Maybe, like Hezekiah, you have some personal challenges that God is trying to deal with in your life. You, have you considered that maybe the reason why it may be persisting is that God is trying to use your personal challenges to draw you closer to himself? Maybe he's prompting you to develop a consistent habit of prayer. How consistent do you exercise your trust in God through regular prayer? Involving him in the everyday affairs of your life. Hezekiah's illness revealed that he had some personal challenges with pride. I don't know about you, but I want to live. I would have turned my face to the wall and cried too. But Hezekiah also had some other issues. 2 Chronicles 32, 24 says this, In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received. Why? Because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and on Judah and Jerusalem. You see how what happened to the leader affected the people? However, Hezekiah humbled, uh, 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 Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Isn't that amazing? What a lesson. I'm so glad that prayer doesn't require our perfection. Hezekiah was not perfect. His heart was proud, and therefore the wrath of God came upon him and upon Judah. But he turned his face to the wall in order to pray to God in private, and when he humbled himself before God, God healed him and added 15 years to his life. Hezekiah experienced a personal challenge and was forced to answer the question on what do you rest your trust? And his answer was, in God, who answers prayer. We experience personal challenges. We, too, can rest our trust in God, who answers prayer. Let me end with this. When we experience prideful failures, 
we can rest our trust in the name of the Lord. Look at Isaiah 39, 1 and 2. At that time, okay, here we go. Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan. That was the one I was having fun with. I turned that one into a song. <laughs> King of Babylon, my wife's going to hate me when I get home. King of Babylon sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah was pleased. Look at the pride they are ready. And listen to this. And he showed them all his treasures in the house, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and his whole armory and all that was found in his treasury. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. I see a prideful failure here. Hezekiah was a good king, and he had done great things in the name of the Lord. But I would suggest to you that that's when we are most susceptible, most vulnerable to the sin of pride. When God blesses us, and he does some great things in and through us, we are prone to take credit and glory from God. Did you catch the wording? Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all of his treasure's house. Showed them all of his treasure house. The silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and all of his whole armory and all of that was found in his treasury and there was nothing in his house nor in all of his dominion. I would suggest to you that Hezekiah was trusting in the name he had made for himself. So he was being tested by God. What do you mean? 2 Chronicles 32, 31. That's why I told y'all to have y'all Bibles. I knew I was going to quote a lot of scripture today. 2 Chronicles 32, 31 says, Even in the matter of the envoy of the rulers of Babylon, who sent to him an inquiry of the wonder that had happened in the land, talking about his healing and all of that, God left him alone only to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. What was found in his heart was pride. Listen, be careful that you don't elevate the blessings from God above the person of God. Don't take credit for what God has done or what God is doing in and through you. That would be a prideful failure. And Proverbs 16, 18 says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. See, the key to humility is ascribing a higher value to the name of God. I was so pleased. I was so nervous. And so I'm always nervous before I preach. And I love it when the worship songs just mirror what I'm, what I'm preaching. And, and I didn't tell anyone about this area where I felt the Holy Spirit taking me about this point about the name of God. And we sang about the name of God. And it was like God was saying, I got it. This is it. This is exactly what I want you to say. 
The key to humility is ascribing a higher value to the name of God, meaning to his pleasure and his glory and his kingdom than on yourself and your own personal kingdom. Humility in leadership is not about position or title. It is action and example. The truly humble leader is more concerned about his or her character than their position within an organization. Hezekiah found pride in his heart, but I love that the scripture says he humbled himself in prayer before God. I'm wrapping up. I don't even know what my time is, but that's all right. Isaiah 39, 3 through 8. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they they seen in your house? And so Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried into Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, From there will be peace and truth. For there will be peace and truth in my days. Listen, there is much debate among theologians as to whether or not Hezekiah's response was one of pride or of humility. I personally believe it was humility because the testimony of his life was that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The testimony of his life is that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. He held fast to the Lord and he did not depart from following him. So I agree with John Calvin. I'm in good company. When he said, he wrote this, when he is informed that the Lord is angry, he unhesitantly acknowledges his guilt and confesses that he is justly punished. Having heard the judgment of God, he does not argue or contend with the prophet, but conducts himself with gentleness and modesty and thus holds out to us an example of genuine submissiveness and obedience. I love that. When presented With his own prideful failure, Hezekiah rested his trust in the name of the Lord. In what do you rest your trust? Psalms 20 verse 7 says this in the NIV. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What does that mean? What does it mean to put your trust in the name of the Lord? Well, in that day, the number of chariots and horses represented the nation's military strength and might. The people could feel relatively safe and at peace if they had a large contingent of warriors who were trained and ready to fight on their behalf. 
And, and so they trusted in the courage of these warriors who rode in these mighty chariots being pulled by powerful horses. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But just as these chariots and horses represented the might of a nation, the name of the Lord represents all that makes God who he is and all of his strength and all of his power. The name of the Lord represents all that God has revealed about himself and revealed himself to be. His name is who he is. So to say that you trust in the name of the Lord is to have, have such confidence in him that you depend on his ability to be faithful and true to his own character. <laughs> Get the tape. In what, I know that's old school, in what do you rest your trust? Get your CD now, I guess, huh? or get online now. To trust in the name of the Lord is to believe that he will keep his promises. In other words, it's being certain that he will consistently do what he says and he will do and be what he says he is. To trust in the name of the Lord is to know that he has your best interest at heart and he will do for you what is always most beneficial. Man, that's good news, church. It is knowing that he will go to great length, has gone to great length, to provide and protect what we've entrusted into his care, namely ourselves. So to trust in the name of the Lord is to confidently risk ourselves to God. Risk means exposure. It, it, it speaks of being vulnerable to him of dropping all pretense and removing all of our mask and, and being completely defenseless before God. We must risk how we feel to him. We must risk how we feel to God. Risk our care and our well-being to him. Risk our future and all of our uncertainties. We must risk them all to the Lord. We must risk our families to him and risk our finances to him. But listen to me. It is only risk in the sense that we don't know what the future holds. But it's confident risk because we know him who holds the future. Oh, yeah, that's swinging chandelier kind of stuff. <laughs> so we can rest our trust in God because we know that he is the great I am. We can rest our trust in God because he is creator of heaven and earth, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We can tr rest our trust in God because we know that he is infinite in power, in holiness, in righteousness, in truth, in wisdom, in grace, in mercy, in love. So we can confidently risk resting our trust in him. We can rest our trust in him because we're convinced that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We can confidently risk trusting him because we are convinced that Jesus is the Christ who died for our sins according to scripture. 
that Jesus was buried, that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and that Jesus appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and then to more than 500, and then to James, and then to all of the apostles, and then last of all to Paul. We can confidently risk trusting him because we're convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other thing or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh -huh. Trust is faith in action. It is the practical application of our faith where we intentionally choose to yield ourselves to God including all of our fears and worries and all of our anxieties, everything we think is right and needs to be done, we yield it all to God. This requires the action of taking every thought captive, every emotion and feeling, and forcing them to be subservient under the sovereignty and the righteousness and the goodness of God. It means choosing to be at peace with whatever he does, however he does it, and whenever he does it. So on what do you rest your trust? When we experience public attack, we will rest our trust in the word of God. When we experience personal challenges, we will rest our trust in God who answers prayer. And when we experience prideful failures, we will rest our trust in the name of the Lord. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.